0: Tonight's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, and pouring oil and wine on his wounds, he bandaged them, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I'll repay whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The man said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Word of the Lord.
1: So uh, this Good Samaritan text posed a significant problem for me. Why did Jesus choose a Samaritan? What was Jesus getting at by choosing a Samaritan of all possible people that inhabited and traveled through Israel at that time? To exhibit and act out the ethics he wants his Jewish audience to follow. At the end of the story, he tells the lawyer to model himself after the Samaritan and for his Jewish listeners to take the Samaritan as his role model. It just doesn't seem like the best way to uh, get his point across, and for his audience to take whatever point he is trying to get across seriously. It's just not a very good way to inspire them to go out and conform themselves to this love-thy-neighbor morality that Jesus is proposing. It seems actually self-defeating to bring the Samaritan into the story, It almost seems as if he is discouraging them from doing the very thing he is asking them to do. If he really wanted his Jewish audience to actually follow the course of action he is proposing in this parable, why use a member of the hated, despised, disgusting, rival community as your example or spokesperson? Our advertisers and marketing people have this down. They understand that it's best to use a person or group or class of people which possess a positive public image and which your target audience is already inclined to emulate and to be influenced by. Examples for us, of course, would be you know like sports heroes or Hollywood movie stars or the reuse or the use of a respectable or or the use of a respected group like nine out of ten dentists agree that you should brush your teeth with some kind of you know certain toothbrush toothpaste or something. It is is an unorthodox, and I think most would agree, a wrong-headed approach to use someone as your model or spokesperson that is uniformly hated, despised, and looked down upon by the audience you're intending to influence. People are not likely to emulate models, which they find disgusting. It's just really hard for people to identify with this type of person. Why didn't Jesus just use a Jewish layperson to help the man in the ditch? If he had to, for whatever reason, involve a Samaritan in the story, why couldn't the Samaritan have been the guy lying in the ditch? It would have been easier for the audience to emulate the hero of the story. So that was my problem. Why the Samaritan? Why is he the hero and not a Jewish layman? That would make more sense. The structure of this, of this story follows the standard three-part folkloric model that was common at the time. After presenting the priest and Levite, it would be expected that a Jewish layman would appear because all three of those classes of people served in the temple. So let's start at the beginning. There were two questions asked of Jesus. The first one being, what does one have to do to inherit eternal life? You know, with the answer being, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And the second question was a follow-up to the first, and who is my neighbor? So in response to that second question, Jesus tells a story. He says that a certain man, presumably Jewish, went down the very treacherous and dangerous road to Jericho. Along the way, he encounters a group of thieves and is beaten, stripped of his clothes, and left for dead he's in a he's in a tight spot he's probably not conscious and because his clothes are gone he has nothing to signal the ethnic and religious group he belongs to he's a lost sheep and if someone doesn't come he could by nightfall quite literally become meat for the beasts of the field by chance a priest and then somewhat later a levite come down the road They both attempt to assess the situation. They both weigh their responsibilities and regulations governing such a situation as is presented before them. Neither of them could come close enough to the man to actually determine if he was dead or alive. They could not get close enough because if the man was actually dead or if he had died while they were giving aid to him, they would become defiled or ritually impure they could not risk becoming defiled because they would have been basically suspended from their job and face a certain level of public scorn and humiliation. And if they couldn't work in the temple, they wouldn't get paid and their families and servants who depended on them would go hungry. We shouldn't think that these are bad or heartless people. It's just that their society provided them no other choice. When they encountered someone of uncertain ethnicity, and who could be very likely dead, the system they were servants of required them to pass on the other side of the road and continue their journey to Jericho. There's a lot more to go into regarding what was going on in the minds of the priest and Levite, but I think their main purpose in the story was to show that the sacrificial system was broken, that they had become so burdened down with regulations that they were unable to help the very people they were supposed to help. So Ezekiel 34, 4 speaks to the situation. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, and neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. The Jews and Samaritans really didn't like each other, but they had a lot in common. The Samaritans were were schismatics. They were people of rather doubtful descent and had quite a few theological differences with the Jews. They gave absolute priority to the, uh, to the Pentateuch. The Samaritans had a competing holy site on Mount Gerizim. They also had a competing temple, but that was destroyed by the Jews in 128 BCE. The, Samar- the Samaritans recipro- reciprocated that action between 6 and 9 CE by defiling the Jerusalem temple by scattering bones in it. So the two groups had competing sacrificial systems. One believed that the holy site should be on Mount Gerizim while the other group believed the holy site should be in Jerusalem. There was a feud going on and as so often with groups that share a common heritage and culture but yet have profound differences, a bitter hatred and rivalry ensues. Then I remember that word rivalry, rivalry from James Allison, of course. And I think that's the key. That's why the third person coming down the road has to be a Samaritan. I think I, you know might finally be getting an understanding of what Jesus was asking the lawyer to do at the end of the story when he said, go and do likewise. So the Samaritan had compassion or pity on the victim lying alongside the road. The root of the Greek word translated here as compassion is rather interesting. It originally referred to the inner parts of a sacrificial victim, which were rather gruesomely ripped out during a blood sacrifice. So now we have a reference to sacrifice. and We have entered the world of competing temples and competing sacrifices. But Jesus is now changing or reinterpreting this awful and terrible word into something very tender and full of love and mercy. A word that had to do with a word that had to do with making victims is now being transformed into a merciful reviving of victims. Jesus is turning this word that represented the worst of blood sacrifice and the disemboweling and killing of victims into something that now transforms the whole concept of sacrifice into the idea That we should devote ourselves to sacrifices of loving kindness, mercy, compassion, pity, and steadfast love. Sacrifice should now be thought of as binding the wounds of the injured, healing and strengthening the sick, returning the near dead or dead back to life, and returning the lost sheep back to their families and to their communities. And here we probably should be reminded of the statement from Hosea 6.6. For I desired mercy not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So further allusion to sacrifice is that the Samaritan poured out oil and wine. Oil and wine weren't just first aid remedies. They were elements in the sacrificial worship at the temple, especially in the daily burnt offerings referred to by Hosea. And the word poured also comes from the vocabulary of worship. Paul discusses his life as a libation poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Micah 6 6 through 8 asks, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Will the Lord? Or, and then the response is, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord re- require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And then further, Ezekiel six sixteen says, I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. So I think it's now apparent Jesus believes that the sacrificial systems of both Jews and Samaritans are broken. That they are incapable of binding up that which was broken. They have not strengthened that which was sick. And they have not returned the lost sheep back to the community. They have left them alongside the road to die. So Jesus is inviting the lawyer to join the kingdom of God. The Samaritan had to be the third person on the road. It had to be a Samaritan and not a Jewish layman. A Jewish layman would have only validated the claims of the Jews regarding the correct holy site, and it would not have been what Jesus was getting at. Jesus wants the lawyer to leave his dysfunctional sacrificial system. It not only does not work, it is not what God wants. Jesus is not really into the whole rivalry between groups thing. Jesus wants the lawyer to join the kingdom of God, whose holy sites are not on Mount Gerizim, and not in Jerusalem, but can be found in a ditch alongside the treacherous and dangerous road to Jericho. The sacrificial altar can be the body of an anonymous man who is lying alongside the road, bloody and dying, with the sacrificial oil and wine being poured not to rip out the entrails of a victim, but to bind up the wounds and to restore the victim to life and to his place in the community. The kingdom of The kingdom of God does not wish to validate the claims of one group against another. The Samaritan was free because he served the kingdom of God and put that above allegiance to any group he may have been born into. So be like the Samaritan. The kingdom of God is coming. So be like the Samaritan and leave these false boundaries and sacrificial demarcations behind and this old idea of what a sacrificial system should be. Because the only thing you'll find in the old sacrificial system is death. The dispute regarding which holy mountain sacrifices should be conducted really doesn't matter. Whether the right place is on Mount Gerizim or in the temple in Jerusalem, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is telling the lawyer to become a neighbor to the injured and sick, to become a neighbor to the outcast and to heal their wounds and sicknesses, and to return them to health and to their place in the community. To be like the Samaritan who has left his preoccupation with his community's sacrificial site behind. You know, just leave these pointless rivalries regarding these sacrificial sites behind because they really serve no purpose other than to destroy people and to abandon the sick and dying. And besides that, God has no desire for you to conduct the types of sacrifices you're so obsessed with conducting and validating against the other. So become a priest in the kingdom of God where there is life and whose mission is to restore life, where you do not have to be afraid of death or ruled by death. This is the way that you will inherit eternal life, because if you hold to your old sacrificial practices and your rival, rival, rivalries, both personal and between communities, all you'll find is death, literal and terrible and bloody death.